Hello and welcome to part one of the next episode from our series of podcasts looking at the effects of COVID on schooling in Ohio. I'm Jim Gay, co-director of the OLAC project. Today we'll be talking about how the pandemic has caused an increase in school failure rates in Ohio, a problem that's seen across the country as well. We'll speak with several educators who talk about the consequences of this problem. Then we'll hear about some solutions and how those solutions relate to the wider issues of student engagement and student assessment. Let's take a minute for the guests to introduce themselves now. I'm Brian McNulty and I'm a partner at Creative Leadership Solutions. I've worked for the last 10 years in school districts across the state of Ohio and was part of the original development of the Ohio improvement process. So all of the work that I'm gonna to talk to you about is based in the work that I've done in Ohio with schools and districts across the state. My name is Reva Cosby and I'm superintendent of Trotwood Madison City Schools. My name is Rocco Aducci. I am the curriculum director for the Buckeye Local School District in Asheville, Ohio. Brian, we've seen a noticeable increase in the number of Fs being given to students during the pandemic, both here in Ohio and across the country as well. Could you tell us more about why this is happening? This shouldn't be surprising news to almost anybody, but in districts across the whole country, what we've seen are rising failure rates, and they're due to a number of different issues, not the least of which is that most school districts took their instruction online. Again, teachers aren't used to teaching online, but on top of all that, lots of kids just didn't have access to the internet or the bandwidth to really participate at levels that their teachers were even expecting of them. Failure rates are rising because we're using the same criteria we used when kids actually came to school. And that just doesn't work in an online world. You mentioned access. Why is access an issue? Are there other underlying issues that cause students to have access problems? Well, you know, so poverty is its own set of issues, but English language learners have really suffered, has have kids with disabilities. And this, again, we, we shouldn't be surprised because, you know, middle and upper income kids have resources and supports at home, not the least of which is their parents, right, who can help them right? And help them with assignments and help them with the internet. They have so many more supports at home than low-income kids or kids who don't speak English or kids with disabilities, right? Because it's challenging for those kids already. So it's only exacerbated what we already knew were problems in the public education system. Educators in Ashtabula County found that these issues of access became especially urgent once the pandemic hit. Rocco? Pretty soon, all of a sudden, here you go. You, you're, you're on virtual, the pandemic has shut everything down, and teachers were thrown into a tough spot because we weren't able to get prepared for something of that magnitude. I, I don't think anyone was. The pandemic pushed some teachers to rely more on compliance-based grading, which is about completing tasks and not about assessing knowledge or mastery. Brian, can you explain why compliance-based grading can be a problem? First of all, why do we have compliance-based grading? I understand that we want kids to comply. That's fine. But if comply really means that they understand 
the standard and can apply it, right? So they can, they know or can do something based on what the standard is, then we should allow lots of flexibility in how they demonstrate that, right? So compliance-based grading should be looked at more skeptically now than ever, because rigid criteria don't work well with humans who have lots of variability. And the online experience for teachers and kids isn't a good way to be rigid. In Trotwood Madison schools, the issues were similar. Reva, can you explain how the pandemic initially pushed teachers in your district towards compliance-based grading? So the teachers get these uh, computers, they know the kids are getting these computers, and they started to give assignments like you wouldn't believe. And I believe it was because they wanted to make sure that everyone knew they were working. They were working from home. For a while, we had them coming in, but then our numbers in our community got so high that I had everyone working remote, even the teachers from home. So for some teachers, again, they would spend like 20 or 30 minutes interacting with the students teaching, and then they would give assignments. So what happened? What happened was when I found out that my staff were going to be issuing over a thousand Fs, I realized that that wasn't going to be acceptable. And for me, I mean, the rationale was, what is the motivator to keep students going if they know they're getting Fs? And also, I mean, in this COVID time, there's so much that wasn't happening. To give us an idea about how some educators in Ohio have confronted these issues, we first turned to Ashtabula County, to the Buckeye Local School District. Even before the pandemic, Rocco Aducci was working on solving problems of student engagement he had noticed. Educators in his district found that the shift to remote learning only compounded the engagement problems. Rocco? We looked at the discipline data. We looked at the state testing data. And it's nowhere where it needs to be. People were struggling. Families were struggling. Students were struggling even before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit in March and boom, very difficult. We're noticing lack of engagement, lack of participation, all those sorts of qualities that a struggling student displays. So like I said, finding out why is the biggest thing because they're not just doing that for no reason. It could be the support's not there at home and we need to provide the parents support so they can support their child, whatever it may be, the why. So we would um, try to find out why certain kids weren't logging on. So you jump on it right away. And then it could be technology, you know, that we drive Chromebook right to their house. Whatever we had to do to get that kid an equitable opportunity, we pushed our teachers and principals to find out why. And once we found out why, we tried to take away those barriers. To further address this issue of engagement, Buckeye Local Schools turned to project-based learning. This mode of instruction uses real-world problems to build student interest and invites them to help design projects and learning modules around responding to those problems. Rocco, why is this technique useful? It's because of the way teachers teach and the way students learn. School is outdated. 
and we're aggressively pursuing other avenues to better meet the needs of kids and a more equitable situation. So give kids a fighting chance. So it has to be systematic. If you're going to do something every day, it should be real. It should be meaningful. You should be able to make the connection between school and my future. And it should tap into all the kids' curiosity because somewhere between elementary school and secondary, they lose that childlike curiosity and it turns the other way and we're missing kids. So this is a new way of teaching, rethinking the way teachers teach and the way kids learn to make it relevant and real and equitable. Very quickly, students in Buckeye Local got connected to issues in their own communities and became a part of helping solve them. One problem the students tackled related to equitable internet access. The educational payoffs were immediate and obvious. I believe that the next thing, and this is something that Buckeye Local School District has jumped all in, solving real world problems from community partners. They get three weeks. The community partner comes in and issues a challenge to teams of students. And what they get out of it is, hey, we need your help. We did a project, develop a plan to provide equitable internet to all areas of Ashtabula County in Ohio. Rocco, what kind of results have you seen from these projects in action? We're finding big evidence that the kids are showing up and they'll do more homework than you could ever assign them because it's real, it's relevant, it's meaningful, and it gives them a chance to improve the community around them. The students in that initiative that were in this, in these challenges that we're talking about, their hands are just up all the time, completely different kids. It builds confidence, it builds skills, it, 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 it makes them question things. The thought process of being a lifelong learner, really, like if a kid wasn't even showing up and now they're showing up and participating with enthusiasm and emoting, that is huge because now you could actually teach the kid where before they don't see the value in learning. Can you give us an example? I saw this one team. I worked with them along the way. And it was this one student really stood out and they pitched to Trevor. He's running the YMCA in here in Ashtabula County. He was the audience. And this one student led so well that he said, did you ever consider a career as a nonprofit CEO? And the principal of the school was sitting next to me and he showed me his phone. The kid had all Fs. Wow. So where do you go from there? We knew we were going to reach a point where other things have to change. And assessment is the biggest one. Of course, any assessment strategy has to take into account standards and how to meet them. Can you all give us some context on this? Ever since we established standards, we've known that there are too many standards to teach in a year. So there's too many standards to teach in a regular academic year in person, let alone online when kids are getting less instructional time, right? So too many standards not enough time. That's been a, an issue before COVID. It's certainly an issue now. And the teachers are feeling like, yeah, but I have to cover all these standards. And in the state of Ohio, we have 
a million standards. There were hundreds of standards, you know, I'm exaggerating, but there are a lot of standards. So what I had to do was find a way to try to convince them that it wasn't our students, it wasn't just them, that this is trending, like you said, across Ohio and across the United States. So how do project-based learning initiatives solve some of these problems? Because we have the data when these things aren't being done, there's a very different story to tell. So getting kids there excited about learning, working in teams, doing deep, meaningful learning work. When we do one of these projects, it's covering standards across the entire curriculum, um, multiple disciplines, and they're learning more in a three-week project. And they're also gaining skills as well as the the content across the discipline. Like you want a guaranteed and viable curriculum, there needs to be more teacher communication and co-planning and co-teaching this way. And you can hit it across all standards. But the next thing and where we're at right now is that whole focus on grades has to change. We have to flip it to it's about the learning. And Part of that is the way we're assessing kids. In Trotwood Madison schools, the superintendent has been doing just that. Reva, can you tell us how the pandemic has affected assessment in your district? This is my first year. I came into Trotwood in the midst of the pandemic, not anticipating that. So my vision and mission and all of those things had to change. Um, primarily because of what was happening in our world. At the end of our semester, we were looking to give out over a thousand Fs. And that is a problem, in my opinion, for students because of just getting them engaged. Our students are very smart. If they realize that they've already failed at the semester, then why do I try second semester? Also, when you think about the fact that students are failing, I always think it's important to think about why. And the whys are are typical. They are miss Zoom meetings, absenteeism, not understanding the material and not having a teacher right there that you can access in person. The way many of us grade often compounds these issues. Brian, can you give us some context on this? I would probably say most schools still grade on a one to hundred grading scale. That's a crazy scale because A is worth 10 points, B is worth 10 points, C is worth 10 points, D is worth 10 points. That's 40 points. And F is worth 60 points. So you, if, you, if you fail in one test, one assessment, right, and it's 60 points, you never catch back up. So a 100-point grading scale just is an insane way to grade, and schools should have been dealing with this already because nobody should be grading on a 100-point scale. Reva, can you tell us what you noticed about these rising failure rates and why they were happening? My understanding is that that was probably easily a quarter more than they would have normally been given. And because a lot of them were due to missing assignments, the F was a lower F. So where some students may have been making a 50 or 55, 
with the zeros that they were accumulating for not being able to turn in assignments, it was a, a lower F, like a 10 or, you know, and so the possibility of bringing it up in a traditional way was not there. Um, so it was significantly more, and it was students who the teachers even thought in a traditional setting would have probably done better. So what we did was think about what were the mitigating circumstances. So the reasons why they were failing were very normal, traditional, absenteeism, not understanding the material, incomplete homework, you know, missing assignments. But the mitigating circumstances, of course, COVID-19 and the fear that that brings with it. Um, these students had to learn how to work remotely. Were there any other structural factors at play? We are a very high poverty district. So our students did not already own computers, a lot of them. Now, again, I'm generalizing because some do. But now they have them, but they had to learn how to become proficient on them. And so that takes time. Um, fear, as I said, in this community. Um, some of our students, when they were working from home, took on like other jobs. So they may be working McDonald's, which would be during the day when they should be at school. And then they would come back home and try to do the homework, but that would be without the teacher's assistance. So we had some of that kind of thing going on. Even though we take attendance, they struggle with understanding that if you're at home, you still are at school. You know, you're not supposed to take a job that's during the day. And, but I know that the reasoning for that was to, you know, to make some money, that they needed the money. And then we actually had connectivity issues, as you can imagine. So some of our students couldn't get on. So those were some things that made me think assigning a thousand Fs to my students was not really showing necessarily what they knew, but showing what COVID was doing to our community. Thanks, Reva. We know these issues impact school districts across Ohio in unique and challenging ways. We're out of time now, but when we return for part two of this podcast, Carol Oxley will continue this discussion with Brian, Reva, and Rocco. Thank you for tuning in to an OLAC podcast. I'm Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.